0: Hey everybody! Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Last Watch. This is a special episode that's dropping on Christmas Eve, along with another episode. So you've got two episodes to listen to over your Christmas break, or you can bank one and listen to it on a rainy day. It doesn't matter to me. And uh, <clears throat> I just um, I just thought I'd sit down and. Knock some episodes out and put them out for you guys to enjoy over the holidays. Don't have a lot planned for the holidays this season. Probably going to just go see the in-laws and um, have some Christmas dinner and then head back home. We had our snowmageddon where we got, um, I think it was about three or four feet of snow. I think it was closer to four. And then just uh, yesterday... We had a rain storm come through, temperatures warmed up, and then we got a good uh, dousing of rain, which was not good as you can imagine with all the snow we had. So it made driving pretty interesting. Uh, luckily, um, The road crews got out and everything is nice and sanded and I think we're good for a little while at least as far as precipitation goes. I don't think we're going to be having any rain or snow anytime soon, uh, but that can change at the drop of a hat around here. So who knows whenever we have um, icy conditions, it always makes me a little nervous leaving and and coming home because we live at the bottom of a pretty steep hill and uh, we live kind of we're not we're not out in the middle of nowhere, but we're pretty secluded, and there's not a lot of traffic on our road, um, so it doesn't usually get services until kind of late in the afternoon, which is horrible if you have to if you have to leave or go to work early in the morning. So um, a lot of times we just kind of got to go outside and use our best judgment. There's been a few times where we've walked outside and. decided nope we're not even going to try and there's been a few times where we've tried to get out and it didn't work out for us and we've been stuck in the snow we've slid on the ice Um, i'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't uh, really damaged one of our vehicles uh, that way by like sliding into a snow berm or something and having to get some body work done but knock on wood it hasn't happened yet Um, but i'm sure it's not a what, what do they say it's not a matter of uh if but when, <laughs> but uh, for the moment we seem to be uh, we seem to be doing okay. Uh, today I wanted to talk about an encounter that uh, it was kind of sticking in my mind. I was thinking about it the other day, and a little a little bit of um, what's that word? Idiosyncrasy. Idiosyncrasy happened today, uh, where I was been thinking about this encounter, and it actually occurred. Uh, Over by Lake Iliamna And we've talked about it on the show before I think, I think I actually uh, Might have talked about it with David Weatherly Uh, Most of the information I'm going to talk about today Comes from uh, David Weatherly's book Monsters of the Last Frontier Uh, If you guys get a chance to check it out I think it's available at Amazon And uh, most places where books are sold We've done an episode about it Where I interviewed David But um I was thinking about this because my initial train of thought was that it had occurred in December and I was like, man, I'm going to talk about, um, a Bigfoot encounter that happened in Alaska in December. And for some reason, this one was in my mind because I thought it had happened in December, but I wasn't, I, I was wrong. It actually happened in January. Uh, but I thought that I would just keep going with it because one, that's close enough. And two, uh, what happened next so I get ready. I'm going to come downstairs and I'm going to uh, record the episode. And I walked into, um, I have, I have um, basically my, my the basement of my house is for business. I have my eBay business down here. I have a shipping room and then I have my Alaska watch office. And I was going to move my laptop from my shipping room to my recording studio where my Alaska Watch office is. So I had, um, walked over to my work table where I package up all my stuff and I bent down to unplug the laptop. And I thought, I thought that when I had bent down, I had, um, bumped into the work table because it started like shaking and I had headphones on and I was listening to another podcast and I wasn't really sure what was going on. I just thought, oh man, I almost lost my balance or something there. Because I bent forward to unplug the laptop out of the, the power strip. And as I stood up, like, it wasn't the table that was shaking. It was the room. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's weird. And then I thought, "Oh, well, it must be an earthquake. And it kept going and kept going. And then it finally stopped. And I thought, man, that was weird. Um, but... It wasn't the fact that we had an earthquake that was weird Because we do have them uh, every now and then But it was, it just, it was a long one And I walked into my Alaska watch office And I was setting my laptop up <clears throat> And I noticed my, uh, I've got some like Legos And stuff set up and On my little um, display shelf over here And my Little Lego Batwing My little bat plane, uh, My wife uh, Put it on string for me Where it's like, basically it looks like it's kind of flying It's kind of Hanging there by string, and it was just a shaking back and forth. And I thought, oh man, that must have been a bigger earthquake than I thought. And it turns out it was a 5.7, and it was across the bay, and it was very close to Mount uh, Lake Iliamna, or Mount Iliamna. And I thought that that was probably a sign that I should talk about this sighting because this occurred near Lake Iliamna, and. Hopefully that's a sign that I should read about the story, and not that the volcano over there is about to blow, because it has blown before and it sucks. Uh, I think it was 2009 when um, it blew last time, and what it does is it uh, sends over a cloud of ash and it covers everything. And you're not really supposed to like use computers or drive your vehicle or drive your yeah drive your vehicle like if that ash gets into it into the system. It can really uh, wreak it. And uh, you're not really supposed to breathe it in either. you got to be careful when you clean it up. And it's just like a really fine dust. It gets everywhere. It's just a pain in the butt. So hopefully the earthquake was a sign telling me to read about this story. And uh, not that the volcano is about to blow. Hopefully it doesn't blow over the Christmas holiday. But uh, anyway, like I said, this story, it comes from Monsters of the Last Frontier uh, by David Weatherly. And he's actually quoting a book called Gamble at Iliamna uh, by a gentleman, a retired uh, Coast Guard commander named Ted Gherkin. And this is the story of a gentleman named Jim Coffey. And Mr. Coffey was friends with uh, Commander Gherkin there. And uh, it sounds like Mr. Gherkin ran some kind of a... a, um, Lodge over by Lake Iliamna and Mr. Coffee was a flight. Uh, he was a, let me see. He was uh, he did maintenance for the flight service station uh, near Iliamna. Uh, and he described, Mr. Gherkin describes coffee as a man in his mid fifties of average height and build with graying hair and ruddy complexion, which is most of the people, <laughs> uh, most of the men in Alaska. And uh, this is a a talk, a talk. This is a story about Mr. Coffee's uh, encounter that he had in January. It doesn't say if it was in um, the beginning or the middle or end of January. It just says it happened in January. I was close. I was thinking it happened in December, but I was, I was off a little bit. Mr. Coffee was driving his pickup truck to the airport during a light snow. Uh, He was less than a mile from his house. And in his headlights, he caught the outline of a large animal. Uh, Mr. Coffee said the creature was pot-bellied, covered with dark hair, and about nine feet tall, which is pretty tall. Um, usually, seven to eight feet is is a pretty good uh, size, but uh, I have heard of some being about nine feet tall up here. But I think that's kind of probably on the upper upper limit. <clears throat> Uh, He also described a creature as pot-bellied, which is rare. You don't often hear about that too often. So it was either very well fed or it might have been a pregnant female. Uh, It says uh, the beast was startled by the vehicle. It was running upright on two legs and moved off the road quickly, heading into the brush beside the road. And uh, this is probably the most Alaskan thing ever. Uh, Mr. Coffey pulled out a pistol, a powerful three fifty-seven Magnum, and took several shots at the thing. <laughs> um, he never explained what led him to shoot at the bipedal creature. Maybe it was the typical Alaskan frontier-style reaction, or maybe he was just as shocked by the sighting as the creature was. So Mr. Gherkin, the retired Coast Guard commander, he he doubted the sighting was, was genuine. And uh, he said... He knew coffee, was fond of taking a drink or two on occasion, and thought it could explain the account. Now, see, this always bothers me when people talk about having encounters or sightings. And then one of the most common, you know, oh, they must have been drunk, or what were they drinking, and or what were they smoking, you know, when I was in the military, I I had my fair share of alcohol and yours and probably your neighbors and your cousins and your mama and thems and a bunch of people's. And I never have drunk enough to where I was hallucinating. <laughs> now I have heard of people who were going through uh, detox, DT delirium tremens, that will hallucinate, but I've never heard of anyone who hallucinated because they were drunk. Um, Got to be some some kind of psychoactive uh, substances, I think, going on there to have uh, hallucinations, or you got to have some kind of weird uh, reaction, allergy, or something to alcohol. Maybe I don't know, but I've it's just it just bugs me. But uh, anyway, Mr. Gherkin, he didn't really believe the story, but you know, I, he probably didn't have a lot going on in his lodge in January, so he decided that he was going to take a little drive. Uh, The day after the sighting and go just look around the area where the sighting supposedly occurred. So he gets in his car, he heads over there and uh, much to his surprise, uh, he finds in the snow there, he finds some tracks and I'm just going to read verbatim here. It says a trail of large footprints in the fresh snow led along the edge of the road. So we got out to take a closer look. Each footprint measured 22 inches from toe to heel with a width across the three toes of 12 inches and across the heel of 36 inches and the track led straight down the edge of the road. So I wonder if that means it was only a three-toed track because that's certainly what it sounds like. Hmm. So anyway, Gherkin, um, he he still kind of thought it was a a hoax. He thought maybe somebody had um, made some... Fake feet, uh, but he continued to to look at the the trackway, and then he could see that it dug into the side of the snow berm uh, on the uphill side of the track, and it definitely cut deeper into the hill than the downhill side. And so he's like, "Oh, I don't think so. I don't think a guy with plywood feet could do this. That's that's pretty interesting." So he's starting to maybe come around that maybe this wasn't a hoax and he said they definitely weren't the tracks of a brown bear or moose, the largest animals known in the area. So, in short order, talk of the creature or big man spread around the nearby villages of Iliamna and New Halen. The creature wasn't a new topic for the native people of the region. Older accounts from New Halen stated that that whole families of Bigfoot had previously lived in the area and frequently ventured close to the village. Children were warned to leave them alone and stay out of their paths so that no harm would befall the community. And, you know, that's a pretty common thing that you hear uh, with uh, Alaska Natives and most Native Americans, uh, is that they warn their children to stay out of the woods or stay away from these things. Um, There was a um, village named, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Kalkanok, K-A-K, H-O-N-A-K. I think that's right. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, They reported early encounters with the big man. One tale involved an incident when one of the creatures was caught in a net. The villagers locked the beast in a shed in hopes of containing it, but during the night it escaped. Living at Lake Iliamna and hearing about the big man firsthand, Gurken became intrigued by the tales. He said one of the most convincing accounts came from Connie Wassily, a cook hired to work at the lodge during the busy summer months. Connie was a white woman who had married a local native man. They lived at a cabin near the Roadhouse Airstrip, less than half a mile from the road where Jim Coffey had spotted the creature. Around the time Coffey had his sighting, Wassily was visiting a neighbor. After her visit, she and her son James, a toddler, headed back to their own cabin. The following day, she told Mary Gherkin her story. I'm sorry, my dogs just got back from their play date. Now there, you might hear them in the background there. While walking across the yard to her cabin, Wassily had an unsettling feeling that she was being watched. Watched. Once in her house, she locked the door behind her and got on with her daily chores. After bathing her young son, she opened up the door to throw out the bathtub water. When she opened the door, she was hit by a powerful animal odor that she described as rotten and nauseating. She quickly closed and relocked the doors. Following the morning, or the following morning, she found the outside door open and two pies she'd left out to cool missing. She discovered the biggest footprint she'd ever seen. The footprints went around the cabin to, and to her bedroom window. From there, the tracks went toward a neighbor's house. Myrtle, the neighbor, reported sheets and pillowcases stolen from her clothesline. There was speculation that the creature had been hit by one of Jim Coffey's bullets and used the sheet to bandage itself though no one reported finding a trail of blood. After the incident, Gurkha met Jim Repine, an authority on fishing in Alaska and an Anchorage television personality. He told Repine about the recent sightings and the man was fascinated. Rapine wanted to do a newspaper uh, article about it or a TV uh, segment about it. I'm, I'm not sure which. And uh, he ends up coming out to the the area and bring in a cameraman and they try to interview a couple people but uh, none of the natives want to be interviewed by him and they kind of clam up which is pretty typical uh, of these situations and um, they did end up filming what sounds like to be a trackway or some tracks and I don't know if they filmed it or if they took pictures of it but I'd love to, um, to track those down I wonder where those are they're probably in somebody's uh Private collection or in some vault somewhere At some television station here In Anchorage (laughs) But yeah So anyway that is kind of a Quick and dirty Tale of the Lake Iliamna Hairy man And uh, how Mr. Coffee (laughs) Attempted to uh, To put one down With his 357 I think I I might have retold that story uh, Somewhere else and I think I might have Inadvertently said it was a 44 instead of a 357. But, uh, yeah, that's just one of the most Alaskan things ever. It's like, what is that? I don't know. I'm going to shoot it. <laughs> uh, man. I, I think that that probably happens a little bit more often than than people admit. I think people probably shoot at things that they probably shouldn't shoot at, but they don't necessarily go around and advertise it. Uh, I, th- I think it's kind of funny that Mr. Coffee was basically just like he didn't care. He's like, "Yeah, I saw this weird thing running on two legs. I shot at it, but it didn't. I didn't get it. I don't think I did anyway." <laughs> I'd be curious to know whatever happened to Mr. Coffee. I wonder if he's still around. I imagine not. That was probably uh, if he was in his fifties back then. And that book, I think it was. I think the book came out in the eighties, and these events occurred in the seventies. So if he was in his fifties in the seventies. He's probably not around anymore, but he might have some family out there that, uh have heard the story firsthand. So if any of you guys, uh, are related to Mr. Coffee and, uh, hear this podcast, I'd love to chat with you and, uh, hear a, uh, firsthand or, well, I guess it would be a secondhand, uh, retelling of uh, Mr. Coffee's encounter. So anyway, guys, I think I'm going to leave you with that. Um, Merry Christmas. I hope everybody has a good holiday, whatever holiday you celebrate. Have a happy one. Have a safe one. Uh, watch the weather. Don't travel in inclement weather. And uh, be safe. Just uh, be mindful of your surroundings and don't do anything that you're not supposed to do. And uh, I think that's it. If you guys want to pick up some Alaskan swag, it's obviously it's a little too late to get it by Christmas. But you can head over to the Alaskawatchpodcast.com website and pick up an Alaskawatch shirt. Uh, you can pick up a signed copy of my book, Abandoned History and Horror Port Chatham. And speaking of Port Chatham, when we come back next, next year, I'm going to take a couple weeks off here from the podcast. And uh, when we come back next year, I'm going to be talking about the new show, Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to power through it, watch it, and I'm going to tell you guys my thoughts on it. So get ready. It's coming. You can't have Alaska Watch without talking about Alaskan Killer Bigfoot, right? So be safe out there and get ready, because the Alaskan Killer Bigfoot's coming. (laughs) Beans is going to take it on. So be safe, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, thank you so much for listening Really appreciate every one of you. Bye-bye.